You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Do you have things in your life that are designed to be helpful, but you just find inconvenient and annoying? It's okay, safe space, okay, safe space. We'll be honest here, I'll go first. Uh, My top three are these. Number one, uh, the stand reminder on my Apple Watch. I understand how important it is to be moving and such, but every time this pops up, I feel judged. I feel like my technology is sitting there, "Mm, you've been lazy. Come on, come on. My second is my check engine light that that pops up always on the week where I am most busy. I have the most commitments. How dare you need an oil change? And then uh, thirdly uh, is the little reminder that pops up on all of our phones now, all of our devices now reminding us of like, hey, you've been on your device for about four and a half straight hours. And so let's, you know, take a walk, read a book. And what do you do when it pops up? It gives you the option. What do you do? Raise your hand. How many of you? Whoop! We swipe it. We keep going. We keep on the doom scroll action. That's right. As inconvenient and as annoying as these things might be, I need them. I don't know about you, but I need reminders in my life. I need people. I need things. I need uh, persons to sort of come alongside me and remind me of the person I want to be, what the healthiest version of me looks like, what the most faithful version of me looks like. In many ways, that is the case with our sermon series that we're starting today. Today, we're starting a brand new series here at the peak called Committed. Committed. Five essentials for an intentional, a committed, a well-balanced faith. Our hope is that uh, we're going to spend these next several weeks really recommitting ourselves uh, to maybe some of the areas of our life, some of the disciplines in our spiritual life that maybe over the course of the summer have just sort of trailed off. Maybe for you, you got busy and these sort of things have sort of faded from your, your disciplinary life. Or maybe, let's just be really honest, maybe it's been longer for you. Maybe when you think about your faith and the health and the status of your faith, a lot of the things that Christ invites us to do and Christ invites us to be about, you haven't really been participating in for quite some time now. Whenever we have members uh, join our church, uh, we give every single person an opportunity to recommit themselves to God and to shared faith in life with one another. And they do so with this question. We always ask them this question. Here are the five essentials. Will you faithfully participate in the ministries of this place by way of, and this is what we believe to be the five areas of a holistic faith, five areas of a well-balanced faith, one that is engaged with your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack each of them. What do they mean? What does it look like? And how do I sort of like do better in the four or the two or the three that I'm not really strong in? And how do I sort of reinforce the strength in the places where I'm doing really, really well? And today, how I want to start this conversation is actually with the end in mind. I actually want to start with the fifth commitment, the fifth promise that we made verbally or non-verbally, when we decided to be followers of Jesus, which is the commitment to witness. 
the promise that we made to God that we're going to share about God, the things that you do in our lives, and we're going to invite other people into what you're doing in us and in the world. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, why, why would we start with that one? Why would we start with witness? That feels like the last week of that sermon series. And quite frankly, that's probably a good point, but the reason why we're starting with this one is because of the five, this is absolutely the most urgent. This is absolutely the most pressing. If you're new to our church today or you're kind of new or you're re-engaging church uh, for the first time in a really, really long time, I hate to be the one to break this news to you, but when you look at the status of the capital C church, this collective Christian community gathered and scattered in all places all over the world, right now the capital C church is in a bit of a crisis. It's going through struggle. It's going through actually great decline. Check out these stats. Uh, so these are even dated, right? These are even dated. Uh, back in 2018, the latest uh, polling we have on this is 2018, 2019. We need like a post-COVID poll. And so when that's available, I'll bring it back to you. But right now, uh, persons who identify as Christian, person who identifies as Christian in our country, uh, back in 2009, that number was 77%. And then in 2019, that number dropped to 65%. And I want you to watch the inverse trend that's also happening. Persons who are unaffiliated. So this is someone who says, I don't want to belong to no denomination. I don't want to belong to no religion. Like, just don't put me in no bucket. Don't put me in no box. Back in 2009, that number was hovering around 17%. Now that number has jumped to way above uh, 20%. Now we're in 26%. Additionally, this is an also really, really interesting trend uh, that we definitely don't have as up-to-date numbers on this one yet, but it's attendance. So engagement in faith through a religious community, participation in and through a religious community. Back in 2009, 52% of the American churchgoers said, we go at least once a month. Now in 2019, that number had dropped to 45%, but they actually have done polling on this and outside of COVID. After COVID, it's not actually not 45%. That number has dropped from 52 down to 28. That 28% of the average churchgoer goes once a month. And we're watching, the, again, the inverse happen, uh, that the persons who came like a few times a year, this is otherwise known as the creasters, okay? The creasters, they come on Christmas, they come on Easter, and they're like, that's good, all good, I don't need any more. I heard it all. Um, that number is going the opposite direction. It used to be 47% less than 50. Now it's jumped to at least 54. At least 54. And then this is the final one I want to point out to you. That recently, uh, statisticians have also found, so the Gallup poll was done recently and found that for the first time in American history, first time in American history, membership to a community at all. So we're not even just talking Christian. Now we're talking just religious communities at all. For the first time in American history, that number has dropped below 50%. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, it's because um, the church, and as a leader in the church, uh, I can tell you this because we've had to do this ourselves. The church, for a long time now, has failed to look like the Jesus that we preach. The hypocrisy in the church, the inconsistency in the church, it's caught up to us. And people now are really tired of showing up to churches and feeling like they have to check all their values at the door, they have to check all what they actually believe to be true of God at the door and pretend for an hour and then go back home. And so they're not doing it anymore. They're just not coming anymore. 
And secondly, as a result of that, naturally, if you've got that sort of situation in the capital C church across the globe right now, particularly in Western uh, countries though, naturally, you don't got a lot of people inside the church who want to talk about what's happening inside the church, right? No one's walking around telling about all the bad things going on in their life. You don't walk around talking about, oh my gosh, like I have had an awful experience with this person or that person. Let's talk about it and chat about it. I'd love for you to come and participate with me so we can be miserable together, right? And so to be very, very frank, what this next era of Christianity is going to require is it's going to require church leaders such as us, such as the people who lead this place, to really take a long, hard look in the mirror and to allow another reformation of sorts to be enacted in this place. We're going to need the Holy Spirit to really begin to challenge and convict the places whereby we are doing ministry and it don't look a whole lot like Jesus. And then secondly, is where we're going to need your help. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. The reality is when you look at those stats, if we want any shot, any shot of having a church to actually hand to our children, those of you who are grandparents, to hand to our grandchildren. It's going to require the church to not only be changed, be reformed, be transformed back into the image and likeness of God, but it's going to require the church, you all, us all, everybody, to invite people into that reforming, into that transforming work, so that we don't miss out on the transformative work that God has in store both for us as individuals and us as a community. In many ways, the situation we find ourselves in today is not too unlike the very one we find in our scripture passage for today. So if you brought your Bibles, or if you're watching us online, you want to hit pause real quick and grab a Bible, go ahead and do that. Uh, as you can track along with us, we'll be in Matthew chapter 28, where uh, the passage that Liz read just a couple moments ago actually takes place at the very, very end of Matthew's gospel. So chapter 28 is the very last chapter in the gospel. Matthew's been detailing Jesus' life and ministry and retelling all the stories of the things that he taught and the things that he did and all the places that he went and all the people he invited to be a part of this thing with him. And by the time we reach the end of the story, similarly, when confronted by a very legalistic, hypocritical, inconsistent religious institution... This institution killed Jesus, and he came back to say, I'm not here to start anything new. I'm here to fix what is broken. That is one of the things that I think sometimes it gets lost in translation. Sometimes we think that Jesus came to start a new religion, like kind of like add to the buffet of options, like, hey, here's another one. Like, it's actually not what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus came to fix what was broken, to reform what had gone off the path. He was trying to remind us of what it actually means, what it actually looks like to call yourself a believer. And so he comes back, and as his final sort of parting note before he ascends into heaven, his parting note to the fellow reformers who are going to be a part of this transforming work in the church and beyond, he pulls them together and he says this, 
And so you have a role. This ain't just my job. This is your job. This is our job. We're going to do it together. So therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Scholars refer to this moment as the Great Commission. It's the moment when Jesus commissioned us. Didn't just invite us to follow, invite us to follow him, but gave you a job, put you to work, said, if this is going to do anything, if this movement that I've begun, if this kingdom that I've inaugurated is going to do anything in the world, it's going to require your participation. The Great Commission is a reminder that to follow Jesus is to be not only a recipient of God's saving power in the world, but to be an extension of it. To be a person who can taste the kingdom come through the things you say, the things you do, how you and I show up in the world. Now, um, you can't see your face right now, but I can. And those of you online, you can't see their faces right now. Uh, but it looks right now, we have a situation here in the sanctuary where we've got a lot of people looking kind of like Andy from The Office, okay, right now. <laughs> Whenever you get up on a pulpit and you get up on a stage and you talk about the importance of witnessing, evangelizing, talking about your faith out in the world, this is often the face you get from church folks such as yourself. Why? Because... Let's be honest, sometimes talking about your faith with other people, sometimes inviting other people to be a part of what God's doing in your life can be awkward. It can be a little clumsy. It can be sort of like, oh, I don't know, uncomfortable. There's a stat that came out that found this. that found that 82% of unchurched folks would attend a church if they were invited. But here's the catch. Only 2% actually bother to do so. Why? Why? Well, I got to thinking about this, and I got to thinking about all the conversations I've ever had with our church folks uh, whenever we've sort of made a big step as a church, or we've been participating, as a, or someone's shared a story with me of God doing something really powerful in their life, and I'll say, man, you should think about sharing this or writing this down or whatever, and they do the Andy face. Um, and I got to thinking, why is this a struggle for many, many Christians today? And we already talked about the hypocrisy bit, so that's, that's part of it. I get that. But I think, actually, most of us in this room, every single one of you in this room, the reason for which is because you fall into one of these five buckets, okay? Okay? Five buckets. Let's go ahead and put them up. So uh, if you're in bucket five, by the way, where you're just, like, inviting people all the time, like you're talking about your faith all the time, praise God, hallelujah, keep going. Okay, you're doing great, keep it up. Just make sure you're not being weird about it, okay? That also is a little bit tricky. You also can be someone who's just like everything in the world, like you're at a soccer game, and you're like, that reminds me of this time at church. Like, I mean, just come on, like, read the room, read the audience, okay? So, like, do it, but keep doing it, but do it better. So, the majority of us, so there's a small portion in bucket five who are inviting all the time. We're talking about our faith all the time. But for many of us who struggle... It's for one of these four reasons, one, two, three, or four. Number, the number ones, the people who are in the first bucket, when asked this question, how often do you witness uh, to your faith, some people will say, gosh, I, I didn't even think about it. In fact, I rarely think about it. 
I just figured you guys had like an evangelism community or a committee at church and like they did all that stuff and I just got to live my life. And if that's you, if you're like, as you're hearing this today, you're like, man, yeah, I think that probably is me. Like when I leave here, I just forget to even, that that's even a responsibility I have. My question is why? Like do some digging into that question. Why? Why is it that we never think about it? That we don't, do you think, is it because we don't think our neighbor's well-being is our responsibility? Maybe that's what we got to lean into. Like, gosh, I got to be more neighborly minded. I get so caught up in my own stuff, caught up in my own struggles, caught up in my own worries that I just so often don't even think about what my neighbor might need. Or maybe for you, it's a part of your own spiritual development that you're actually in the phase where you're trying to even just think about God at all beyond just Sunday. But if that's you, number one, I want you to ask that question of why. Why why don't I feel any urgency or responsibility for it? Number two, you want to, but you're scared. You want to, but you're scared. This is uh, what some people will often say to me whenever we talk about the importance of sharing our faith, that they're scared. And there's a whole bunch of things to be scared of. Scared of rejection. Scared of saying something that changes their relationship. Maybe you've got this person at the bus stop that, like, the moment you kind of veer into faith, you just, like, steer that baby, like, hard left out of there. Because you're like, we're really enjoying this person. I don't want to, like, now go into a level of depth that's going to risk, I don't know, me saying something or them saying something, and it gets a little uncomfortable. And I'm not saying that any of those possibilities won't happen, because they might. They might. But I will also say this, regularly when I have coffee with you all, you will say things to me like, gosh, I'm so tired of living with superficial friendships and superficial people in my relationships and at work. We never talk about anything of substance. We never talk about anything real. I never feel like I'm actually talking about the things that matter to me. Here's the reality. If you want a relationship in your life to be real. It's always going to require risk. I don't care what type of relationship we're talking about. Marriage, friendship, person that you're feeling called to share your faith with. There's always a risk to being real. But maybe, just maybe, you and them will discover that there's something on on your heart and on your mind you've been wanting to talk about for a really long time that you've had no other place to actually talk about and share about. So that's bucket two. So if you were there, so if you were in bucket three, you used to, now you just don't want to, okay? Some of you used to do this, and now you don't want to. Some of you uh, were raised in traditions. This is my story. So for those of you who don't know my story, I didn't grow up in faith, but then when I came to faith, I went to a a hyper-evangelistic church where it was literally the only thing we ever talked about. Every time someone got on a stage like this, we could be talking about something entirely different in some way, somehow. It's actually quite impressive. The pastor would sort of like do like these mental gymnastics to make it and say, so now you got to invite people to church. It was like, we were just talking about like forgiveness and prayer or something like that. How did we turn that into an outreach message? And so over and over and over again, at least in my experience, I got real tired of that. I got real tired of being told that I need to treat every single person in my life actually not like a person, but as a project. I got to get them saved. I got to move their status over. I got really tired of doing that. And so for a long time, you know what I did? I stopped. 
all together, 100 to zero. But what's tricky is the Great Commission doesn't say, go and make disciples, parentheses, unless you've had a really negative experience with your religious institution, in case that, then you're exempt. So the challenge is, if you used to, but then you got burned by it or hurt by it, now you don't know how to do it well, maybe it's just, okay, not how do I not do it at all, but how do I do it better? How do I do it more relationally? How do I do it more organically? How do I do it with a level of intentionality that I'm not trying to throw everything at someone with all these strings attached, but just as a free gift, a free invitation to experience what you've found in God? Or maybe number four, maybe you're three, maybe you're four. You want to. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I would love to. I feel like God's done some really powerful things in my life. I feel like um, what I've found in this church has been really, really vital and very, very important, has a lot of value to my life, but I just don't know how. I don't know how. And if that's you, fear not, because at the end of our time together today, we're going to tell you, uh, we're going to give you uh, actually some resources as you leave into the lobby today, and we put together a resource card to give you a place to start to give you a place to start. And don't worry if you're, uh, we, we gave you strategies for the socially anxious and the social butterflies, okay? So for those of you who've never met a stranger, we got some strategies for you. For those of you who are like, dear God, I'm so glad that this church doesn't do like the meet and greet time all the time because I swear it took me like seven hours after church to recover from that, right? So if that's you, fear not. We've got strategies for all of you. But before we go any further, I do want to say uh, one more quick thing about that. So, Listen, let's just name the elephant in the room, okay? Let's just name the elephant in the room. That any time and every time a pastor gets up and talks about the importance of outreach, witnessing, evangelism, it feels a little weird, doesn't it? It's okay, you can nod. It feels weird, a little bit. Sometimes it can feel like there might be an ulterior motive at play if the pastor's the one standing up there and saying it. It's kind of like when you go to a new restaurant, you go to a new store, and then they hand you a flyer, and they're like, tell your friends about us. And then you walk out of that store, and what do you do with it? Someone on the first service goes, I recycle it. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to, like, make it nicer. Like, I didn't crumble it up and threw it away. I just gave it back to the earth, okay? Because I didn't invite nobody. I ain't doing that. Let's just be honest that sometimes when you sit in places like this and a pastor or the religious leader is telling you about the importance of sharing with other people, it can feel like maybe there's an ulterior motive at play. It honestly reminds me of, so about uh, seven years ago, we launched, it was was when we first launched two services here at our church. We were growing and we wanted to make more room for more people, uh, go back to our mission statement. When we first started, we wanted to be a church that reached disconnected people, and good Lord, that mission statement, as needed as it was back then, it's more needed now. And so we launched two services, and I'll never forget, um, I got this email about a week after the announcement from one of our church members who had been a part of this thing since the beginning, and uh, her, it was very critical, it was very, didn't like it, didn't like the move, didn't love, gave a whole bunch of reasons as to why. And then at the bottom of the email said this, I don't like this move because it just feels like you and the leadership, all you care about is growth. All you want to do is grow. I'll never forget that. Because on the one hand, 
it also wasn't true. Like, the moment where a church is only putting all of its resources in evangelism and outreach and failing in the realms of missions, discipleship, youth ministry, and children's ministry, then you can say that. Then you can say that. But I don't feel like that was fair to, like, what we were investing in all those places. But then, quite frankly, I'm going to say to you the same thing I said to her, which was, um, you know, the core question, Kyle, do you want to grow as a church? The answer is unapologetically, yes, I do. And I'll tell you straight up, straightforward, why? Two reasons. Number one, healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Unhealthy things die. What's fascinating is that there's sometimes there's this belief that you can kind of, there's a status in the middle of those two things where like, well, there, can't we just like stay the same? There's no such thing. There quite literally is no such thing in organizations and your own personal relationships. There's no such thing as staying the same. You're growing. You're getting better. You're getting more faithful. Or you're dying. What was so fascinating, what saddened me so much about the email that I received several years ago was right before that, uh, this person went on to say, you know, this size of church is exactly what I need. It's exactly what I prefer. I'm here because of the size that it is. It's almost like a parent saying, man, I love my kid at this age. How do I keep them, like, at age six? Let's just sort of put books on their head and sort of put them in a box, and maybe they'll just stay at age six or age five. Some of you are like, I got a five-year-old. Five ain't the one. That ain't the one, dog. That ain't the one. <laughs> Healthy things grow. Unhealthy things die. And I want to be a part of things. I want to put all my energy, all my heart, all my passion to things that are growing into the fullest, richest version of what God intended for them. And secondly, the reason why I'm unapologetic about this, again, if you held my feet to the fire and you asked, Kyle, do you want to grow as a church? You tell me as the pastor. I would say unapologetically, yes. And the second reason is because, oh, I don't know. I want anyone who will listen to me to hear about Jesus. I want everyone to know about the best thing that ever happened to me. Before I, when I think about my life pre-Jesus, again, if you don't know my story, I didn't start following Jesus actively until I was about 17. Like, when I rewind and look at, like, who I was on pace to becoming when I was 16. It's a scary thought, dude. I was on pace to becoming someone who was angry all the time, arrogant, prideful, huge ego, destructive, selfish. And I'm not saying those things are not still in me. I'm still a work in progress. But I am here to say that I'm here to testify, I'm here to witness to the fact that Jesus is the best, single best thing that's ever happened to me. I can see things in my life losing power over me, that they used to have so much more power over me than when I first started. I can see fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. I can see them, these things that naturally, never came naturally to me, 
generosity or, I mean, all these things that pop up that now are becoming the new desire of my heart, that there's new desires bubbling up inside of me, and I don't take a single ounce of credit for that. So do I want to grow? Good God, yes. Why on earth would I ever want to keep the best thing that ever happened to me to myself? What do you do when you find a good show on Netflix? What do you do? What do you do? You try to convert everybody to it, don't you? When you find a new restaurant, what do you do? You share it. When you find good things, you share it. So why on earth would we not want to share the good things that God is doing in you? Why? And listen, I'll be super clear about something. Super, super clear about something. There is a big, 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 big dis, uh, a differentiation between sharing about your faith and sharing about your church. Okay? There's a really big difference between sharing about your faith and sharing about your church. At the end of the day, I care way more that you are sharing about your faith than your church. Why? Because this ain't the end game. I don't know. We, it, it, I, go and make churchgoers of all nations? That ain't what it said. Go and make disciples. Go and invite people into this thing that you found in me. Go and f invite people to experience the forgiveness, the grace, the freedom, the, 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 the ability to love your enemies and extend forgiveness to people who have wronged you. Like, go and give people the gift that you have been given in God. Now, the other side of that coin is there is also no such thing as a solitary Christian. You can't actually love your neighbor with no neighbors. And so whenever you hear me or you hear this church talk about the importance of inviting other people to church, just know it's not invitation to church for the sake of church. It's invitation to church because at least for me, maybe you're stronger, more independent, and more autonomous than me. I need people in my life. I need disciplines in my life. I need communities in my life who will hold me accountable to the person that God has called me to be, especially on the days where I don't feel like it. I'll close here. What I need you to see, what I need all of us to understand is that although there are several reasons why you shouldn't talk about your faith or you shouldn't invite people to church, while there are several reasons for why that is the case, I'm going to remind you of one reason why you should at least think about it. And that reason is you just never know. You just never know. What you thought was just this like, purely innocent, like, throwaway text on Saturday night inviting someone to join you for church, or what you thought was this sort of just, like, throwaway comment you made when you were having dinner over at your friend's house of, like, hey, you know, our church is having the fall carnival. If your kids want to come. You guys should totally come with us. What you might see, what you might understand as a very simple, very innocent, very sort of meaningless gesture to someone else 
might just be the thing that changes the trajectory of their entire spiritual experience. You don't know. Your text might be the thing that ignites in them a curiosity in God that they never had. Your text or your invitation might just be the thing, it might be like the seventh thing that week that God has done in that person's life just to convince them that God's real, that God's present, that God's alive. Your text might be the thing that's like, good God, everywhere I go, this Jesus won't leave me alone. You don't know. You might be the person that corrects a misconception that they have of the church. You might be the person in their life who finally goes, man, you know what? Like, maybe not all Christians are bad. Maybe not all Christians are hypocritical. Maybe, not, maybe they're not all jerks. You don't know. Your invitation might just be the thing that shakes someone from their spiritual staleness to re-engage this thing again. And if the other stat is true, last thing I'll say, if that other stat is true, that 86% of a congregation is here because someone invited them. Now, I mean, that may be your individual case. You may have like found us on Google or whatever. But if 86%, let's just, for argument's sake, a large swath of why we are here is because someone took the time to invite you. then friends, you not only owe it to Jesus' great commission, but you owe it to the person who invited you to be extensions of the very same grace, love, and invitation, and welcome that was gifted to you. Thank you for listening to The Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.